0: Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Please welcome Leslie Stahl. It's really a thrill to be here. I'm just going to invite my friend, Joan, to join me. Joan? Yes? Come on out.
1: <laughs> We're going to <laughs> sink this chair.
0: <laughs> Joan has a love. I have a handheld. <laughs> so uh, I was thinking. That if I were to interview you or try to interview you on 60 Minutes, I'd have to recuse myself because it would be a conflict of interest because we are really, really very close friends and I wouldn't be allowed to do the interview. Uh, But everybody here is your friend, I think. And so um, I don't know about you, but I am really grateful that Linda Janklow, wherever she is, called us both, Linda, because... Uh, It's given us a chance to become more familiar with this incredible museum, which is just, it's a wow. And it's given me a chance to get to to know more about you. Because we are friends, but you don't really get to know about your close friends unless you Google them and start (laughs) learning. (coughs) So, well, everybody here knows that you're Big Bird's mommy, right? And um, everybody knows that you have been... Honored up the gazoo, you have won the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is one of the highest honors uh, a citizen can receive in our country, and you have 13 honorary degrees, including degrees from Harvard, Princeton, Columbia, Georgetown, Notre Dame. Those are just a couple. Um, But what we really don't know is the details of your journey. Um, So I thought we would go back to book one, Genesis, <laughs> and which, were, which were, we'll go back to the mid or early 1960s, when everybody thought television and learning had nothing to do with each other. In fact, television was a big distraction to learning. What made you think in the very beginning that television could conceivably be used to educate children?
1: Well, I never doubted it. Children were singing beer commercials all over the country, <laughs> so we, we knew they were learning something. And I was working for Channel 13, and of course we felt we were providing information, and I thought if you can supply information, why can't you supply information about the ABCs, the counting? Why can't you do some of these things with television?
0: You're like Galileo. You know, they, these geniuses come up with the idea that ever. Some, why didn't anybody else think of this? But I happen to know because I did Google her that um, <laughs> you did do a documentary for WNET on poverty and discovered that middle class kids were going to school, knowing the alphabet and knowing about books, and disadvantaged children weren't. And so, talk about how you decided this that, that television could be used to help level the playing field.
1: Well, yeah, we didn't level the playing field. That's a kind of myth. What we did was bring raise everybody up. So, that, mm-hmm. But what you had were disadvantaged children ready to go to school, which they weren't. And we knew that teachers treated children differently who came in knowing letters and numbers, that their ex- the teacher expectations went up. And so we wanted our mm-hmm. children... To have the same expectations from the teachers, and and in fact, after the show had been on the air a while, kindergarten curriculum began to change because all these kids were pouring in, who knew uh, what kindergarten had taught before before, but it it uh, changed the curriculum.
0: Now, you in the clip, they they talk about the paper that you wrote in 1966. You went out across the country, and this paper. Well, talk, I want tell us about how that came up, but the paper became kind of the outline for Sesame Street.
1: Yes, Carnegie asked me if I'd be interested. If a friend at Carnegie, Lloyd said who was the co-founder, with me of this, and without him, it wouldn't none of it would have happened. Uh, Lloyd asked me if I'd like to do this study, and I said, Well, would I?" And
0: what, what, what were you studying? What was the point of this tour It you was
1: took? to find out what the major people in preschool education throughout the country and child development people thought of the idea because Carnegie didn't want to announce something or raise money for something that all the experts would then jump on mm-hmm. and make it very difficult. So he felt unless we had uh, the backing of the major people and, and their ideas of what curriculum would look like, um, that we shouldn't go ahead. But I just they, I expected hostility because there was a lot of hostility among uh, uh, we call it the whole child people in in uh, child development those who think you treat you teach the whole child and you never teach them anything specific when they're little, mm. and. Uh, those weren't the people I interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I interviewed cognitive psychiatrists and people interested in children's learning, and they jumped at this. That was the shocker. We all thought it would have a mixed. There'd be mixed messages from them. It was a hundred percent of just absolutely saying, "Of course, use television." So and then I got from one of them the idea of what the curriculum should look like and and then I started thinking what a show might look like. So I I suggested something that was like Sesame Street. I couldn't have dreamed of what it what Jim Henson and and John Stone and Dave Connell and Sam Gibbon and the various people who worked on it turned it into it. I gave them the barest bones, let me tell you, and they, I couldn't have imagined what they came up with.
0: But I, I didn't read the paper, but as I understand it, one of the important things you, you said was that most children's shows at that time were in these make-believe pl- places, these unreal places. They were set in fairylands and whatever, and you said this has to be an urban setting.
1: I didn't say it. I, John Stone, one of the producers, has said, "How would you feel about it being in a in a inner city area?" And he always said, "Joan turned several shades of pale." <laughs> oh, <laughs> and said, "Sounds." I said, "Sounds good to me," because I suddenly realized, why not? If 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 urban children were watching. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, which was in the set in the suburbs, why wouldn't suburban kids watch a city street? And it turned out to be exactly right.
0: But wasn't wasn't that the target audience you were trying to reach anyway? Inner city city kids, Mm -hmm. and that they would look at that and and see
1: themselves, see themselves, see see their world,
0: and then elevate that world, or at least elevate their learning world.
1: Leslie, I want to stop for just a second and point out that there are three people here from who have worked on the show from the beginning on air. Loretta, where are you? Right here. Loretta Long. Loretta, you want to stand up? Bob McGrath. Bob, stand up. And Sonia Matano. Sonia. These people have what have humanized These are the people that were in our, on our city street from the beginning and who have made it so real to so many children throughout the world.
0: Back to you, Leslie. <laughs> All right, let's pick I want to see, I thought it was your idea to do urban, so let me, instead of saying telling everybody what I read, let me ask you. Was it your idea to use the, the Rowan and Martin laugh-in show?
1: Yes, uh, yes. Okay. I said to the producers, we're going to do a laugh-in
0: for kids. Now tell us why you thought that was going to be s- successful for kids. I mean, that was a wacky doodle show. Everything was wild. Well, it turns
1: out I, I, I was wrong about it in the following way. I thought these kids have very short attention spans, how perfect to have these little sketches and go on to something else. It turns out these kids have very good attention spans. So as time went on, we made pieces longer because we didn't lose them. I watched Sesame Street with my granddaughter when she was nine months old, and she could watch it straight through without moving off my lap. And and I, while there were changes going on on the show, it wasn't... Well, it was her attention span was... Ex- and I realized all these kids have these attention spans. What are we doing?
0: So you create this at the very moment in time that my old boss, Don Hewitt, was creating 60 Minutes. Yes. Um, and and the, 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 what's similar is that you were taking a serious subject, something edifying, something somewhat educational on our side as well, and saying we can marry that with with something entertaining and the and the vast it'll be it'll be interesting to the entire country was there something in the air i mean why did these two fabulous television shows that maybe the only two that have lasted this long were created at the same moment in time
1: well change was in the air don't forget and a sense that you could do anything that was the 60s i mean oh, you know right. people remember them many so negatively whereas I just remember them as, as can do let's do it uh, in our case the government and uh, private uh, foundations collaborated it would be impossible now to, to put together what we, what we did in the 60s and also there was an, another thing about our, when Don's case the world was ready for that change that he brought I mean, again, that was the change that was in the air. In our case, the world was ready to do something for kids because it, remember, Lyndon Johnson started talking about Head Start. It wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, preschoolers had marched to the center of the stage. And so it was um, the moment, the, the time, well, as you know, timing is everything. It was for Don, it certainly was for Sesame
0: Street. Well, like Don. Uh, you were involved in everything. You you were involved in thinking up the idea. You were involved in the creative side of the show. You were involved in the administrative side. You helped think it up, and then you helped push it on the air.
1: Well, listen, I did not, I mean...
0: Come on, Joan. All right. I'm not going to let no, you wiggle let out of this. No, let me tell
1: you what happened. I got very, very lucky in getting... Uh, Dave Connell, who had been an executive producer of Captain Kangaroo, knowing how to do five shows a week is not of itself very rare to find in a producer, and one who was as able as Dave, and John Stone, who was a genius and was one of the creative geniuses, on, and I don't use that word lightly on the show, and Sam Gibbon. Those three all had been on Kangaroo. They all understood children's television. They were all ready to make the change and do something hipper and more interesting. And then, thank God, one of them said, how would you feel about our trying to get Jim Henson? And I said, we could get Jim Henson because I knew his work, which was commercials. I'd seen a reel of his work that were commercials and very funny stuff that was not appropriate for pre- preschoolers. <laughs> and so what did you say? I said, you said when they said I said, "Jim, Henson, do you think that he because I thought he wouldn't even look at this little children's It show. wasn't that you were
0: outraged that they would even think of a guy who was doing that kind of work. You just thought he wouldn't oh, say I yes." Oh, I was beside
1: myself with with possibility. And then he he um, they talk. He didn't want to do it because he didn't want to be a little children's entertainer. He wanted to be a family entertainer, the Muppet Show, being his dream show because that was a family entertainment. But then he decided that he had all these kids of his own, and that maybe he ought to do it. And uh, I didn't meet him until he was aboard, and we were. It was during the period where there were. Young people blowing up buildings. You remember in Greenwich Village?
0: Oh yeah. Some kids blew up a
1: building. It was a sort of a period that was a little scary, and (laughs) we were at a seminar with a lot of people all facing front, and this man with a beard and leather vest and so on, walked in and was sitting in back. I had never met him. I had never seen him. So I whispered to Dave Connell, how do we know that man back there is not going to kill us? (laughs) Oh, my God. And he said, not likely.
0: That's Jim (laughs) Hanson." By that point in time, had he already come around to the idea?
1: Yes. That's why he was attending the seminar. So we met and, that day and became very fast friends.
0: You know, I heard a story uh, that he said once that puppets had always been in a box. And he realized that television was a box, and therefore he didn't have to keep them right. in the box. And then if he could get rid of the box, they could become more human.
1: Yes. He, yes. He was. He absolutely saw television as the liberation of puppets, and he he, he worked he worked in television.
0: Well, well. T- did did you uh, tell us the role you played in in the character development of the of the Muppets that are on Sesame Street?
1: Well, I didn't play much of a role. What happened was we had a series of seminars with professors. And cognitive psychologists, and and some people from entertainment too. And they would come up with ideas. For example, and I would then we would decide that was a good idea. They said, "Why not have a or a bad idea? Why not have a child who's always more correct than the adult?" And I said, "We can't do that. You can't have uh, teach children to talk back to teachers and parents." But out of that came Bert and Ernie, but that was Jim Henson and, and the producers who came up with it, not me, and, and uh, Ernie is sort of the child. It's never stated that way, and
0: Bert No, is- we don't know how it's stated. <laughs> <laughs> that was my next question, but let me finish your story. So in other words, the, there was great research that went into each character. Big Bird,
1: for example, came out of, of somebody saying that someone should, one of the puppets should play a child who doesn't know everything. And Jim, we, we did a series of test of, uh, shows that the street was very dull and uh, there are advisors that said, don't mix fantasy with reality, so keep the puppets off the street and just have them in separate segments. Mm. So we did these test shows and the kids were totally bored with the street because there weren't any, nothing much was going on. So when that research came back, I said, to hell with the advisors, let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's get fantasy on the street. And so while the producer, uh, Dave Connell, was talking to Jim. Jim started sketching so we said we want puppets on the street. Jim started sketching Big Bird. He'd always wanted a 9-foot tall bird. <laughs> and he fit perfectly with what one of the advisors had said to us, which is have a child on the have a child who's doesn't know as much as the adults and Big Bird is that child.
0: He certainly is. He certainly is. Um who's your favorite?
1: Well, I I always loved Ernie, because that was Jim. And any oh. Muppet that Jim played with you always, always was very close to your heart. Um, and and I loved Kermit, who we used for a few years, but ended up not... Which, that was Jim, too. We couldn't... Uh, Keep Kermit because he was doing commercials and commercial things and other things, and so we had to drop him from the show. (laughs) He got fired (laughs) for moonlighting. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, I I can't. I just think about what fun your job has been.
1: Well, yes and no. I was not in the studio creating things. that was the cre- i I was out there trying to raise money, trying to keep it going, coming up with the with the next idea, which was Electric Company getting that show going, which went on the air two years after Sesame Street and then we did several shows for eight to twelve year olds. Which was not a was not a happy experience. Not that the shows weren't good, but eight to twelve year olds did not watch public television, so they never got big audiences, even though they were wonderful shows and very expensive shows. So we were doing others. I was doing working on other things all the time. The science show was very difficult, and I, it took a lot of my time. That was for eight to twelve year olds.
0: Well, well, that's what I meant when I said you were initially involved in the creative side and then you're the one who really pushed it on the air you had to raise money you had to get licenses i had to be all
1: business after a while and press and publicity we needed a lot of that we needed research we were very very heavy into research and i was getting those that information back all the time and deciding what to do based on research and with the producers, it was always we. It was never I. It was always
0: we. Well, that's what's fun about television. It's always collaborative. It's always, it, collaborative. It's always the family. Um, I I did. Uh, I want to step back for a minute from Sesame Street and just ask you a couple of questions about you, because uh, it appears that you came under the influence of something called the Christophers. yeah, and Father James Keller who had this movement. Why don't you tell us about the movement and what his influence was on you?
1: Well, I was brought up Catholic and did not become a lapsed one until later in life. After <laughs> until after Father Keller. Till after Father Keller. He founded the Christopher Movement, which was taught. It was he. what grabbed me. I don't know what his whole thing was because I wasn't following everything, but I would read every now and then and i was really struck one day by his saying that idealistic people should go into television which was the new medium because if they don't non-idealists will go <laughs> into it <laughs> and that and that this was something that that should be used constructively and i said you know wow that's right that's me yeah so so I, I went into television.
0: And he, and he was the inspiration? I met, he, him,
1: I met him before his death. He was sick when he came to... I was interviewed by the Christophers. They had a, a radio or a TV show. And he came over to the studio, and I was very glad to say you really influenced my life, because he did.
0: Go into communication.
1: Go into communication.
0: Go, into communication. About, yeah. go into communication. Um, now, this was the 60s, uh, it was before the women's movement. It was before affirmative action. Uh, how how difficult was it for you as a woman to be out there pushing this?
1: Well, that's an interesting question because you would think it would have been a big deal. The only time it came up was in the beginning, after I'd done the study. And I knew this uh, I knew what this could be. I never doubted that it could be a success. And suddenly, some of the funders, and particularly a woman at the Ford Foundation, raised the question of whether a woman could be taken seriously as head of it. So I was as if asked...
0: it might hurt the whole movement.
1: That it wouldn't be taken seriously. And so if you can believe it, I was asked to drop a list of possible heads of the children's television workshop and I would be deputy director well the interesting thing is I was married to a real feminist at the time and he said just tell him you won't be number 2 and you won't be there and good luck
0: and it hadn't struck you to say that right it, no you had of to course have not i tell you of
1: course not i was shocked by his feminism
0: So that's what you did, though? You listened to them?
1: Yes, I listened to them, and I said, I won't be there. And they said, Well, of course you will. And I said, Good luck. (laughs) And they caved. (laughs) (laughs) They all. (laughs) (laughs) 25?
0: I'll take it. Oh, my goodness. So over time, the show started, and I put this in quotes teaching things beyond the alphabet. You know, obviously from the very beginning you were teaching tolerance. That was there in the beginning. But you started to get into other issues.
1: We got into environment. We've got, uh, we, we've, we deal now a lot with uh, health and exercise and uh, uh, we have new, some new curriculum every year. Mathematics and STEM. Mathematics and Engineering and science are now very high on our list of things that we're beginning to teach.
0: I remember um, a show, uh, and I've read about it, and I remember it, where some somebody died, and I know there was a debate that should we just not replace the actor, mm-hmm. and he'll have the same name, and mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was you, but somebody said no. I mean, th- this is a death, and we're going to deal with dying. Well, I think that
1: was probably pushed and brought. It was brought to me immediately, and I said, "I said, we've got to find out from our researchers and experts whether children this age can deal with it." And um, and there was, it was all yays from the experts that yes, you can. But you and so we had meetings with these um, cognitive psychiatrists and so on. And they said the one thing you have to make clear was um, is that he is not coming back. That never would have crossed my mind. They said you have to make that's the one thing about death that must be understood, and a child can understand, a little child can understand that. So we did a very touching show. I mean, the whole cast, who's here, who some of whom are here tonight. Wept on the show, wept during the taping. I mean, not boo-hoo, but, you know, it was very, everybody's throat was catching, everybody's eyes were tearing up. It was extremely, um, and it was very, I'm so sorry we we can't redo it, because the grateful letters we had... From parents saying, "My mother just died" or "My father just died," and the child, you know, doesn't know where the grandparents have gone. This was so helpful mm. to know what to say, and you know, it was to me personally later because uh, a a close friend of ours died at, um, a few years ago, and my granddaughter was just about uh, two and a half at the time. And she was staying with us when all this was going on, and she said to me one night, looking me right in the eyes, I had been saying, he's sick, you know, when she would say where is the friend, not say he's sick and let it go, and she finally said to me one night, we were having ice cream like we were having a late night drink at a bar, we were up <laughs> late, <laughs> because there was so much confusion going on in the house as we were getting ready for the funeral and so on. and. She she's looked at me and her eyes latched on and she said, what happened to him? And I thought, oh my God, what do I do now? And then I said, what did the experts say? And so that's how much it's needed. So what I made clear to her was that he was so sick that he would not be coming back. And she got it. She never asked another question.
0: Mm. It was a very powerful show. I remember Big Bird trying to figure it out on on camera, Um, somewhere along the the line, as the clip said, other countries started to come to you to say, we want our own Sesame Street. And I always wondered why you just didn't give them your show and let them kind of dub it into their language. It
1: It never crossed our minds and it isn't what they wanted. Germany came to us very early, I mean, and it was shocked me. I had thought we had done the quintessential American show, that it was hip in the very late 60s, early 70s. And the Germans wanted it, but they wanted their own. And so it meant they wanted us to come over and co produce with them. And um, it was a very interesting experience. It was our first. And so one of the things that in in the studio, the producers in Germany were very very liberal, which was the young people's really reaction, I guess, to World War II and all that they'd been through. So the young creative people were very left of center, and they, they, we were working with them, and so they had pieces to show showing children defying authority, so that, so that it would be very uh, on on a grass of a public park, it would say verboten. I mean, it would be on a grass at a public building, and they would show children ignoring that sign and running onto the grass and <laughs> playing in the grass and kicking up the sod. And then it would show a broken bridge, which would say verboten. And they were supposed to know <laughs> when, when verboten meant dangerous or when verboten meant you won't get shot or won't die. And we had to stop them because, they, because, I guess, of their background with Nazism and so on. They wanted these kids to defy authority and to learn to stand up to authority. And we had to rein them That's just way fascinating. back. fascinating. It was fascinating.
0: You know the, you Sesame Street produced a documentary that I saw. I'm, I think it was Bosnia, Kosovo, yes. um, and they the two sides wanted the Serbs and the Serbs and the Cro- Croats. Croats. Croats wanted to produce a Sesame Street together, and you did a documentary. About how they, how the difficult, enormous difficulties of just getting one sequence done.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And this was repeated in, in various different c- countries where you had these kind of tribal situations.
1: Northern Ireland, we have a show and it shows Protestants and Catholics playing together. We have, of course, been in the Middle East. And Did you
0: do an Israeli Palestinian show?
1: We tried. <laughs> The, it ended up being stories from one and stories from another. They, they couldn't work together. It was, um, it, it, while we were, I was with the writers, uh, which a, a number of whom were Israeli, and I mean several Israelis and several Palestinians, and a big story had broken that day about the is Israel attacking a Palestinian stronghold or a Palace or something had gone terribly wrong. And so they the Palestinians came in and were saying, We just can't go on. We just can't go on. And um, and the Israelis were saying, why? And they said, because of that incident yesterday. And the Israelis said, you don't think we support the government, do you? What what are you talking about? We no. That's not us. That's the military. That's politicians. We are not military. We aren't politicians. So they continued working together for a while, but it finally broke up, and we have separate shows out there.
0: One for the Palestinians, one for the Israelis. Well, I'm going to invite you to ask some questions uh, after I ask just a couple more. Um, (laughs) Then it's your turn. Uh, Because I can't ignore the fact that we're in this museum, um, and this museum is about television and movies. And um, I am dying to ask you what what you like on television right now. For you, what are you watching? What shows are th- th- turn you on?
1: Not plural. I only watch one.
0: Oh, thank God! I know she's going to say sixty minutes.
1: No, oh no! <coughs> I watch sixty minutes every. Si- I- Sorry, I was thinking fiction. See she wasn't. I, was I have we. We watch 60 Minutes every Sunday night without fail. I have uh, MSNBC on as background music most of the time. Morning Joe? Morning Joe and everybody else. Um, I, my husband, who is not a conservative, nonetheless likes Bill O'Reilly, if you can believe it. So I have to leave the room. <laughs> I watch John Stewart every night of my life.
0: Your people, John. Your people.
1: <laughs> and I watch a little of the Colbert Report, but it goes on too late for me. I'd love to stay up every night and watch. TiVo, it TiVo. Well, I know, and I can, but it's it isn't that. It's I like to see shows on the air. I don't. I, I throw away today's. If I don't read today's newspapers, they're thrown away. And then the only fiction show I watch, I'm afraid, is Mad Men. And I, I, <laughs> I love that show.
0: Wow, you have come to your people. i <laughs> good <they have> <laughs> to see you. All right, your turn. Um, I don't know if we're going to get lights on you. And are, are there mics or, or are no, you just going to yell out? So here's one right over here. Oh, uh, I'm just going Hi. Hi.
1: Well, thank you for that question.
0: Uh, Let me make sure everybody heard. No. So the question was talk about uh, the diverse nature of the show, uh, how that came about in the beginning, and whether there was any pushback to using African Americans and I guess you mean Hispanics and everybody else at that time in the 60s.
1: Well, there was never a question. I announced to the producers on day one that we would have... uh, two men and two women and two would be black and and two would be white it, it there was, it was there was no pushback at all we were all so of one mind that we're creating this show and the world except for the south which was not totally with us. We had some pushback from Mississippi, but we paid no attention. Said, so don't carry the show. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but, they got so much flack from their audience that they had to put it on. Where we got into some trouble on it though, is that we did not have a uh, Latino or Latina in the beginning. And uh, correctly they pushed back and correctly we added Sonia uh, and uh, and Luis uh, right as soon as we could, which was about a year after we went on the air, or year or two. Um, so that that there was never a question about African Americans because we were aiming very, very much at at uh, youngsters in the inner city. That was the bullseye of our target that we were trying to reach.
0: Right there. You. Um, I was struck by uh, what you said uh, about being surprised about the attention span of children and I was just uh, a few weeks ago at the Kids Screen Conference where a executive from a uh, commercial
1: kids network said the way to reach their target audience was to imagine a kid
0: with ADD. Now I wonder, do you believe that since the launch of Sesame Street that kids' attention spans have
1: changed, and if so, what do you think today should be television's role in reaching the kids who are watching
0: right now? Question well, about attention span and children. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, little kids still watch television, as, as actually do uh, uh, all children. That They're not just with mobile technology. Um, Television is still very popular with the young, extremely popular with very young children because they're not using a lot of mobile technology. They may play with their mother's cell phone and, and look at some things. I worry, I, I must say, and I don't have the slightest evidence that it's so, that all the video games and all that technology is going to not be good for children who of the older age, the ones who are seven, eight, nine, on up through high school. I don't have a scintilla of evidence that it's changed their attention span for the worse, but there, it just makes sense to me that there's something wrong with that. I have one grandchild, a boy, who's obsessed with it, that at technology, at 13, and I don't like it, but but there's nothing I can do about it except we're trying to enlist it, and we'll we will use that technology to try to push our goals in education. We will use we will use games if, if uh, we think that they will make a difference. But I, I'm, I'm still very 20th century on that technology.
0: Here's the problem with the technology. It's that kids are using it while they're in school and while they're trying to study. And everybody knows if you don't focus on one thing at a time, you're really not going to get the full benefit of it. So someone else. Oh, right up there. Hi. Hi. Um, I tried to watch TV with my 13-year-old nephew after school, and I couldn't believe what a challenge
1: it was. Is there any... Is there anything called after-school programming anymore? No. With the 500 channels and the, and the Internet options? Oh, I think if you went through them, you'd find dramas that would interest As teenagers. As you looked around looking for things, somebody was mounting somebody else, and um, <laughs> there was a on another <laughs> channel. And I didn't know where to go or what to do. I had three channels when I was a kid. You won't find much appropriate on the air for that age group. If anything, because they aren't. The reason is commercial interest. That age group is not is not watching a lot of television. The early teens, they are playing video games, and using all the mobile technology. So the advertisers are saying, "Why should I advertise? I won't get enough. I so won't Maybe
0: there's no such thing as after-school programming
1: anymore. No more. Mm-mm. It was great programming, but that's over.
0: Wow. Yes. I have a little uh, video up on YouTube called No Adults Left Behind <laughs> five year olds tell the truth with greater understanding than most adults and just like I'm watching you I was talking to a woman who's voted New York City Teacher of the Year she had eight to ten year olds who still could not read when she got them emotionally engaged they had a reason they taught themselves how to read by themselves in two months like Alice Miller said Emotion attaches meaning to experience from to get the child without emotion nothing can be learned i'm just wondering why is emotion avoided like a plague when it's been shown to be the number one essential ingredient and what can people like you do to bring this self-evident information out into the public
1: i don't know it's it, there's still an immense prejudice in schools against using any video uh, i I believe that you could get children far more interested in some subjects. I was out at a high school <clears throat> uh, a public high school, but it was special. It was uh, a part of Phoenix House, so these kids had been were there recovering from from uh, drug abuse. And had, were there? It, I mean, they were sent by judges. These were teenagers. They weren't. They had gotten in trouble and were given treatment as an alternative to jail. And the high school out at the at the facility is run by the by the board. Well, it was then the board of ed, but in any case, it's run by New York's education authorities. But it was far more creative than anything I think going on here. They were studying World War II, so all the kids were watching, an old black and white, maybe it was G.I. Joe, I forget the name of it, and they were just totally absorbed in this World War II film. Well, I thought, they're going to be interested in reading about World War II now that they've been motivated, that it makes so much sense, and that teacher figured it out, but it's very tough to break through the prejudice against media in in, uh, education over here. Hi. Um, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about, there's been so
0: much focus recently on special needs children and, and the education for special needs children. Um, I don't know how much of that was back then when, you, you know, Sesame Street first started and if you guys ever discussed if, if there's been modifications to the show that were uh, meant to be for the special needs kids or anything else that you had to say
1: about that? Well, we've always had special needs children on as part of the the children that we use. Uh, we're going to have a reaching out program, and it will. Uh, I don't know the degree to which we can put it on Sesame Street, but we'll be making materials for families and and uh, DVDs for families that will probably be aired on PBS at night for adults, and it's uh, it's about autism, which has become, as you know, a huge uh, problem in the United States for for families to do to what to do with these children, and so we are going to try to see if we can help uh, families deal with those kids. Right over here. It is a much better landscape than the one we were born in, uh, meaning there are many more shows, and, and many of them constructive shows, on Disney and um, Nickelodeon, Nick Jr., uh, for kids, um, so that it's a much better media landscape for kids. That's the good news. The bad news is that there's... That's, Sesame Street's still widely viewed, but it has huge competition, and none of these shows are doing what Sesame Street does. So we have to keep working on on getting parents aware that, yes, let them watch all these, these other cute shows, and some of which are perfectly constructive. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. They're entertainment, sometimes with a little education in them. uh But we want the kids to watch Sesame Street, and then if they want to watch, uh, if they like SpongeBob or those shows, it's fine with me, but I sure wish we could get parents to remember that education comes first, and that the children enjoy it. If you don't turn on, they will certainly gravitate to SpongeBob once they've watched. They begin watching Sesame Street so young, it's really meant for twos on up, but they start really at nine and ten months old. Parents put them down because they can get take a shower. You know, the child's so absorbed, so happy. <laughs> I have done, been guilty of this myself, um, where you say, Oh, thank God, she's watching Sesame Street. Um <laughs>
0: I can see you know what surprised me was how much research how many of the experts you kept going back to I didn't realize that so every, you just didn't throw these things out there because they were entertaining or you thought they'd be uh, educational everything
1: no. had everything is cleared with experts and then and then research we see if if we get the effects from children that we're looking for if they learn what we want them to learn
0: you hear that? The question uh, was to Joan whether her grandchildren ever inspired anything that then ended up on Sesame Street.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. The answer is no. I don't recall uh, (laughs) ever. But I do recall watching these kids playing, talking about crack, the crack in the sidewalk, and, and I came in and said this was in the crack epidemic, and I said, get that off the air, and, and so there are things I see where I say, <laughs> this, is, this, is not, this is not good, this is not right, uh, but very occasionally, because this, these are very, uh, these caretakers of the show, the producers and the researchers, are watching all the time. So I have very uh, few chances of saying, I think something's not working well. But no, my grandchildren loved it and, and were taken to the studio a lot. And so uh, they never complained.
0: <laughs> right up there.
1: are we going to change it i, I mean um, ha, um, did you
0: actually change did you change the format change
1: we have we have the format is is still there's still a street story with with human actors and Muppets interacting and um but we have new we have new characters we have Abby Cadabby who has her piece on the show every day which is she's a uh, Fairy Child, she has, has a, Abby Kadabi's Fairy School um, and uh, we have an Elmo piece, so yes the, over the years the format has evolved and it's not the quick little pieces anymore of the old laugh-in days uh, as I said we learned that children had a, a, were liked liked stories and liked to see them develop so we do segments now much more in the show we still have quote commercials for letters and numbers but we have whole segments too so the format has evolved Did the, the stories one.
0: uh go over for a couple of days so the kids will come back sort of the way they do in a book
1: not no not often finishes, we so have done show. that but we not often because that's a little on the that's a little hard on their memory is I, too this young is young not the age to do that
0: yeah There was a woman right up here, yes. So it's like 150 countries already. Yes. There aren't 150 we're, countries. We're here.
1: developing a show in Pakistan as we speak. Um, or maybe it's on the air now. I don't think it is. Uh, we we're, we the, the reason we don't travel anymore with Big Bird is it's very expensive. And um, we really have to watch money. And so we put what we have into the domestic production, n- not in specials so much anymore. Um, but uh, we are going to try to figure out ways to marry some of the f- the international material with to the show, not have it in the foreign language. I guess we would dub it. I'm not sure exactly how it would work. And we're putting some of the American Muppets and version and pieces into the foreign productions now, so there will be working more closely together but we just haven't uh, been able to, with with all the foreign productions we just haven't been able to travel with the American show and I don't think we can do it, we'll do it because of money. Hi, yes. um, can you speak a little bit to the research that was done in terms of social change and combating racism within society? Well we don't I, I don't recall that we researched it. We we w- were combating it from day one. We were all um, very much of the time and very involved in in civil rights. And uh, we knew that this would be a show in which all people and Muppets got along. That the street would show kindness, show, show tolerance, show interest in other cultures. Um, a person on the right of the political spectrum wrote me a very angry letter uh, a couple of years ago about our multiculturalism and how terrible that was. And I wrote back and said, yes, we are proudly multicultural and that that's what we think our our role is. So we, we, we believe in showing kindness and empathy to everybody on that show and it's all kinds of people and puppets. Thank you. Over here? Hi. I just want to thank you for everything you've done. I I'm actually one of those children that believe in Sesame Street. So thank you. Oh thank you very much. <laughs> uh. we, should, we, should we should end pretty soon. It's ten after eight.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> This is going to be our last question. Last question. I listened to Jim. The question is about the electric company. I have twin boys, one of them who has autism, that we still watch the older electric company on DVDs. How do you feel, um, and I, I think you said it got canceled because you said eight to 12-year-old uh,
1: really were It's watching. on the air. A new version yeah, is on I'll the air every day at 5 o'clock, and it's, it's all very up-to-date. It's not the same as the old version, but it really teaches reading. I, is it hitting the target of what, they try to do back in the 70s to like... The it's 30. trying to do the same kinds of things, but alas, that AIDS group does not watch public television very much, so we can't get the audience we want. I am hoping we can eventually turn the electric company using segments into classroom materials mm. uh, and, and after-school materials because, uh, for example, uh, it we teach... One of the things you learn in early reading is the silent E, um, rate, rat, and so on, and um, we have a song that is just incredible on the silent E, When the and I just dream of the teacher bringing that up and then going to the smart board or the iPads, whatever the technology is that will be in classrooms, if not now, eventually. And the child would never forget what a silent a is. And so I am very anxious that we get m- marry our work to the technology in the classroom and get classrooms using it. And there's a lot of interest now because the failure rate in reading in the third and fourth grade is just horrendous. And those kids are the dro- ones who drop out in high school and get into trouble, and um, we're very anxious to try to affect that uh, as soon as we can get materials put together and get into classrooms. And currently, we're working on Sesame Street to get that into preschool classes in special materials that will use technology, all kinds of technology. So that's our what we're doing right now, but we hope very soon to be able to use Electric Company the same way. I think they could make a real difference in education.
0: I would like to say that my friend Joan Cooney is going to go to heaven. (laughs) 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 I hope so. She's the one that uh, pushed this idea of teaching at the beginning, poor children, uh, the alphabet and the beginning elements of reading. But she also taught all of us, because everybody watched Sesame Street and continues to, taught us all tolerance, and she taught us all to have a sunny day. <laughs> Thank you, Joan.
1: Thank you, Leslie. It's <laughs> so good. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.